This is Tom Fox, and I would like to welcome you greetings and felicitations. In this podcast series, I'm going to be visiting with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, historians, and a wide variety of other people on topics that are outside the area of compliance, but are of great interest to myself and to listeners to the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I begin a two-part series with John Champion. John was one of two co-founders of MissionLogPod.com, an exploration of every Star Trek television episode and movie beginning in 2012. Originally scheduled to end by 2026, it now will extend further out. In a wide-ranging conversation, John talks about his mission, his original partner, Ken Ray, the inspiration and founder of MissionLogPod.com, Rod Roddenberry, and how they are exploring Star Trek in ways that, uh, frankly, no one else has, and keeping the legacy of Gene Roddenberry and Star Trek alive today. It's a fascinating exploration. If you know the history of the title of this podcast, Greetings and Felicitations, this is the podcast for you. In this episode one, we explore the development and beginning of Mission Log Podcast. Com from the original series to the animated series, the movies, and up to Star Trek The Next Generation. Welcome to an extraordinarily special edition of Greetings and Felicitations. I'm here with John Champion at the world headquarters of Roddenberry Enterprises uh, to visit about John Roddenberry Enterprises, missionlogpodcast.com, and John and Rod's journey through the podcast world. So, John, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you for coming here. I, I, whenever you or I or anybody says Roddenberry World Headquarters, because I, I make that joke <laughs> just to myself, and I, I picture like, uh, you know, like a very Bond villain style volcano lair kind of thing. But it, it's not. It's 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 a two flat in North Hollywood. You know. It's it's a the, this building that you're in. Uh, we're very lucky to have it, and it is all new construction. Uh, so it was purpose built for Roddenberry Entertainment. Uh, but the trick is that if you're in LA County, you say that you're doing a remodel. So even if it's all new, you just you keep one thing from the old building, and you say no, no, no it's just a remodel. That's all, and then and then you knock everything down and start over. So that's a little trick uh, you get to pass along to your audience. Uh, we'll uh, we'll keep that in mind for the rest of the <laughs> compliance audience. Uh, John, I met you, as I recall, in uh, 2012 or 2013 at another podcast conference. You told me about the uh, not five-year mission, but at that point, I think 14-year mission. You and Ken yeah. Ray had uh, started on. Could you tell us what that mission was when you began? So in August of 2012... We launched Mission Log. Now we had started it. We we had started recording test demo shows and getting feedback as early, I want to say as like April of 2012, maybe March or April, leading into an August 2012 launch. And um, we figured it was so funny, like we dropped our first episode timed out with the big Star Trek convention in Las Vegas in August of 2012. That that was the goal. We knew it would land there. It was a great way to kick it off. And then 
almost immediately people said, if you do one episode a week for every Star Trek series, and it will take you 14.9 years, you will end up at the end of 2026 by the time you're done with this. And even in 2012, well, especially in 2012, that felt very daunting because we had not thought that far ahead. And then things changed because, well, it's not necessarily every week. You got to give yourself time off, no question about it. And then more Star Trek started happening. More Trek kept coming out. And we just at a certain point thought, there's no end. There's no end to any of it, which is fine. But 2026 is now a lot closer than it was in 2012. And the way I looked at it, I, I told you before you recorded, we we definitely will not end in 2026 because we, we, we would be behind that a little bit anyway, uh, just as things have unfolded and the, the kind of the logistics of making a podcast. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be well past 2026 by the time we're finished with sort of the classic run of Star Trek, then there's all the new Star Trek, and we'll do something else when we get to that. I remember when uh, you told me that 2026 date, and and I couldn't even fathom 2026. In a recent podcast, I said to someone, well, what about 2030 or or mid-century? I just shook my head. (laughs) I said, did I really just say that? Yeah, because the worst part is you look at that on the calendar and you go, your first reaction is, how old will I be in that year? And you, you don't want to think about it. Yeah. Because I, I think about when we started Mission Log, and I was like, oh, okay, I am I am this age now starting Mission Log. And then in 2026, I will be much older. <laughs> so it's hard to think beyond that. Yeah. So let me tell you some of the reasons I found Mission Log so powerful and ask you maybe your opinion from the other side of the microphone. Sure. Uh, Everyone who knows me knows I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Stop it. Get out of here. The, Shocked. The original yeah. series. Yeah. I uh, had seen every episode multiple times. Could quote dialogue from every episode. True geek. Yeah. But what I found with your, uh, you and Ken, mm-hmm. at that time, Ken Ray, uh, two things, maybe three. Mm-hmm. One, you knew as much as I did. So that, I love that. Two, it was like hearing two friends I was like watching two friends talk because by then I'd been able to meet you and see Ken mm-hmm. and I could picture you sitting around having a conversation and it was literally very conversational yeah. uh, with distinct segments uh, kind of highlights key points and the other thing is it drove home to me the intimacy of the podcast format because you're literally in someone's head yeah and that's different than television and certainly different than the printed word but I was wondering what was was your experience around that because you guys I remember in one podcast you you walked me through your preparation it was extensive mm. yeah what was uh, the that whole process like for you well uh, thank you for noticing those things the, those three elements that you pointed out because that that is the magic of making this podcast and um, not, not that we have discovered something special that nobody else could figure out but we we were proud to take the time to do it and get good feedback from people that we trusted. And whenever you talk about getting feedback from people, um, take it seriously and uh, in the spirit in which it is intended and uh, take that feedback um, 
take that feedback to heart and be constructive with it, and then understand the part of the feedback that you need to completely ignore. <laughs> because maybe your insight is something different or, or better, you have a better understanding of your own product, you know. So um, the format, look, when people get into podcasting, I, I think there is one end of the spectrum where people get together and say, look, we can just turn on a mic and we're funny, we're engaging, people want to listen to us, we'll just talk. Okay, that, I, that's fair. And there are podcasts that do that. I think there are not as many now as there were a few years ago that do that because I think the professional stakes of podcasting have, have gotten higher. Um, but we felt like, well, no, we, we don't want to do that. And Rod is really the one who pushed us to a format, even though there was feedback that we got that said, you don't need the format, just, just talk about Star Trek. Uh, but Rod really pushed us toward honing in on a format. And that was really an important key because uh, when Ken left Mission Log, he and I had always said to each other over the many years that we worked together, the format and the show is more than either of its hosts. So you can take the right host and plug that person into that format and it'll work. And beyond that, you can take something beyond Star Trek and plug it into this format and it'll work. And Roddenberry Entertainment has shown over the last year or so that, that we can. You know, we, we're doing Mission Log the Orville now, which is very much a Star Trek show in its DNA, but it's also a comedy show. But we're like, well, what if we take the Mission Log format? It's the introduction, it's the trivia, it's the recap, it's the discussion, and it's the morals, meanings, messages. Does that work? Yeah. And it doesn't fit with every single sci-fi show ever made or every single pop culture show ever made, but it does work for the kind of conversation that we're trying to have. So that, that's that been incredibly gratifying to see that. And the other trick is this. I mean, the average episode of Mission Log has anywhere from, say, 12 to 16 pages of notes. And that's a lot of notes for a podcast, particularly one that sounds conversational. But that's that's kind of one of the talents involved in making the show. Believe me, I'm not calling myself talented, but that is a talent that is involved in making the show where you have all these notes in front of you because you studied it, you've gotten the thoughts out on paper, but then when you turn on the mic, you know what to hit and you know what to just leave behind in the interest of having a good, genuine conversation. So now Norman and I do that every week where we're, we're filling in our notes, we're filling in our notes, we don't look at each other's notes, but we start to talk. And maybe we're, we're reading some of the points that we have, but inevitably that spins off into a conversation we didn't expect to have. And that's the great part about doing Mission Log, is just getting that thought out and the person across the table, or in our case, across Zoom saying, wait, wait a minute, go back to that. Why did you say that? How did you really think, feel about that? You know, that that's what's cool about doing the show. And that's the conversation that you're picking up on. The uh, Your show actually inspired me to do, I uh, do an annual summer series of mm -hmm. the original uh, series uh, with compliance and leadership lessons. It's, and, a, it's a great angle. <laughs> it, it is, yeah. And it gives me an excuse to rewatch uh, yeah. every episode. But I also re-listen to your podcasts. Uh, for different insights that I uh, I can get out of it. 
And in that process, it struck me that as the original series is really evergreen, Mm -hmm. uh, being an episodic series, uh, very topical to the late 60s, your podcasts are also evergreen. And you can literally pick them up 10 years after the after you recorded it. And frankly, it's still as fresh as ever. And I asked you about that once and you credited that to Rod. Yeah. Yeah. We try very hard to keep it evergreen. Uh, at the same time, though, I mean, anything that is created, any art or discussion or commentary, whatever, will always be a product of its time. Um, Rod was the one who had these aspirations and he said, I want to think about Mission Log the way I think about DVDs or Blu-rays on a shelf. You know, they, they can sit there and no matter when I go to it, I, I'm going to get something valuable out of it. I, I will want to go back to the shelf and watch Star Trek and listen to your show as the commentary for that show. And it's a different angle from, say, uh, a very technical commentary. Like if you're listening to a director or um, or actors or a, a you know, a writer talk about making a movie or making a TV show. Ours is about what are the ideas in that show that we're discussing. But we try very hard to make that as approachable as possible. And um, we don't always nail it because sometimes there are stories that are so specifically topical. <laughs> and um, and I, I don't necessarily mean within Star Trek, although within Star Trek, it's fun to look back at a show that's 50 years old and say, oh, look, they're talking about racism or this particular social movement or whatever. Now let's draw the parallel to today. As you and I talk, that today might be right now or it might be five or 10 years ago when we started the podcast. But it's still something in the social national conversation. I think one of those places where it was a little out of step for us, if I remember correctly, there was an episode that it was while Ken was on the show and one of us mentioned this story. Do you remember there, there were some kids who were trapped in a cave? This was like in Thailand. Right. Or so, right. It, 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 it captured national and world headlines for days and days and days until they, they got them out of there. It was a blip on the radar as far as the news cycle, you know, but it made it into mission log because it had some relevance with what we were talking about. That's one of those is like, Okay, we're going to try as hard as we can to be evergreen, but you got to give us one of these every now and then. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there was, uh, in rewatching one season, it was around the time Me Too became very prominent. Mm. Uh, obviously, a very different time in the 60s, but uh, there were three rape scenes throughout mm. the original series. And uh, one actually dealt with a compliance issue. Hmm. And that's the one where Captain Kirk was split into two and attacks Yeoman Rand. Yep. And uh, uh, Spock and McCoy are questioning her. Uh, that's directly a whistleblower. That's a woman trying to report, not understanding. Uh, and I actually use that today to talk about the, what it does to a woman because uh, yeah. Yeoman Rand really articulated that in her acting at that scene and most shockingly in that episode they bring him in and and that that's something that absolutely does not hold up from 
50 plus years ago. Um, we know that they're making shortcuts for dramatic purposes and, and, and I get that, but that, that's something about that episode that really stands out as, here's the wrong way to do this. Yeah. <laughs> but at least we did have some examples of right ways to, uh, to handle that. I'd like to move to the animated series because Wonderful. I had remembered that somewhat, yeah. but really rediscovered it uh, based upon uh, your, your when when you when you went through that, uh, and then sitting down to rewatch it, and it really did bridge uh, leading up to uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and even leading uh, down the road uh, into the next generation as well. How was reviewing the animated series for you guys? Um, I want to go back and rewatch it now. I really do because it's been a few years since since we did it. And uh, I I remember years ago. Um, it, it, it's so simple and so obvious, and it always stuck with me that you know, somebody complaining about animation or or saying, "Well, I'm not a fan of the animation genre," and somebody said, "Well, no, animation is not a genre. Animation is a technique." for storytelling, just like a book is not a genre. A, you know, movies are not a genre. Animation is simply a tool that is a technique for telling a story in any number of, of genres. And some of those can be adult-oriented, some of those can be uh, child-oriented, and, and there's this whole, whole vast playground in which to tell stories. And in retrospect, you have to hand it to Gene Roddenberry and Dorothy Fontana primarily, who looked at the opportunity of animation to revive this, you know, much beloved series that clearly there were thousands and thousands and thousands of fans, either millions of fans who, who were waiting for its revival and say, all right, we might be going to Saturday morning, but we can use this opportunity to continue to tell the types of stories we want to tell. And, uh, and they did it. They, they pulled it off. And I feel like in the last few years, the animated series has been somewhat elevated higher than its regard in the years before. There were a lot of people who just immediately dismissed it, who felt like, yeah, it, it was made on a low budget. So was all animation in the early 70s on Saturday morning TV. It just, it, it all had that look, you know. But it's, whether it's 1960s Star Trek or 1980s or 90s Star Trek or this little animated series that lasted a season and a half, um, it's all ultimately about the storytelling. Um, if you can't get past the animation style, I would even say just, put it on audio only, although you're, you're missing out on something that's fun and artistic from that period, very much speaks to the period. Um, they're telling real Star Trek stories. Or they're telling stories with sophistication that are clearly aimed higher than the, you know, presumed eight-year-old audience that's watching it at the time. Good for them. Good for them doing that. Let me pick up on a point you raised around the animated series, and that's Dorothy Fontana. Yeah. Uh, most of us knew her as DC Fontana. Yeah. Uh, as a as a credited screenwriter from the original series, but the animated series and 
you, you, y'all's work around that really drove home to me just how critical she was in the and not simply the animated series, but what she meant to the entire franchise. Could you say a few words about yeah. Dorothy Fontana? I, my, my words are that I wish that I got to spend more time with her because um, she was so critical to everything that developed as Star Trek at the time when it started to then what it became over time. And her, her frustrations in working with the show, I think, are very understandable. Um, and, and she would kind of come and go because like, like any TV show, it's a high pressure environment and there are personalities to deal with. But you got to hand it to her as somebody who in the 60s working in an environment that was not geared toward women, she, she went by DC to hide the fact that sometimes, you know, that she was a woman. She also went under the pen name Michael Richards to hide that it was her who was writing these and elevated from, you know, essentially an assistant to uh, a script supervisor, to, you know, a, a, a writer and, and an integral part of the brain trust that was Star Trek. So then for the animated series, of course, of course it was people like her and David Gerald who were uh, uh, nurturing Star Trek's legacy at that time. And then when you get to the movies and especially when you get to Next Generation coming uh, on the air, of course it was people like that, that original brain trust. It was Gene and Bob Justman and Dorothy and uh, David Gerald and all these people who could really bridge that gap from the 60s to the 80s. At the same time, you know, my impression of just in the brief encounters that I had with her, thank goodness she came in here to uh, do a few episodes of uh, the Trek Files with us. Um, she uh, she she was not particularly showy or really you know forthcoming with all of her stories, so you have to kind of get it out of her. But that just seems par for the course with her. Like she was all about the work, let the work stand for itself, and she didn't need to showboat about any of it because what she did was so great. Uh, you mentioned David Gerard. That's Gerald. Gerald. Yeah, yeah, David Gerald. Uh -huh. uh, the screenwriter for The Trouble with Tribbles. Yeah. Uh, you had an interview with him, you and Ken, on a supplemental interview. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a very difficult interview. It's very hard to listen to as a fan. But I have to tell you, I learned a lot. And here's what I learned. Mm -hmm. you, you were going through a series of questions. He said some things about Gene that I'd not heard before mm -hmm. uh, and were very difficult to hear. And you could almost hear the air go out of the room on the podcast Yeah, and neither you nor Ken responded. And I thought about that for a long time. Uh, and what I finally decided was you let his words tell the story and then your silence continued that story. Mm. And uh, I, I found it, in retrospect, because I have listened to it again, to be as powerful a, a, a time and a moment as I've heard on a podcast. And I wanted to ask ask you, how was that interview for you? And how did you handle something that was very difficult to hear? So I, I don't want it to sound like I'm blowing smoke, uh, because it, it is the truth when I say that, you know, I have a lot of respect and also a lot of um, 
empathy and or sympathy for uh, Rod because here's somebody who his entire life has been hearing from both sides. Your father was a genius. He could do no wrong. He changed my life. And then from some people saying he was a monster, he was terrible to work with, et cetera, et cetera. I can't imagine, particularly on a public stage like that, hearing that, uninvited, just hearing the, those two extremes all the time. But to Rod's benefit, he always said, look, you can have anybody on the show that you want and you can get whatever stories you want. I just, I want to hear both. And I feel like the truth is always somewhere in between. So we never want to set up a situation where we're inviting somebody to come bash my father or somebody to come in and just praise my father. But what we want to do is find the truth about who that person is in the middle. And he did an excellent job at that with his documentary, Trek Nation. It came out some years before Mission Log and, and honestly is a big inspiration for why he wanted to create a show like Mission Log. So coming up to that David Gerald interview, we knew that David is somebody who has at times praised Gene and his time on Star Trek and his whole experience with Star Trek and at other times been very frustrated and very upset with decisions that Gene made and the, the business decisions behind Star Trek. David's in one of the most difficult businesses in the world. Show business is notoriously difficult and fickle and um, nonsensical. Uh, and that's even for the people who are experiencing the best of it. <laughs> so when when somebody like David gets to come in and tell their story, I think the three of us, the, the hosts and Rod, just go, okay, look, this is the time for this person to tell their story. And it's not up to us to somehow redirect that or presume that we need to correct or append their experience somehow. We need to let them tell their story, share their experience. And then you fast forward some time and you have somebody like the late Richard Arnold who came in. And Richard could tell all kinds of stories. I, I'm sure many of those went to his grave <laughs> as well, but he had this deep affection for Gene as well. And, and he's somebody who's gonna come in and tell you sometimes the opposite. Say, oh, no, 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 Here, here's what really happened. Well, from his perspective, you know. Did you see the, the documentary about Deep Space Nine, What We Left Behind? No. Okay, so it, it, it's very well done, it's very clever, but it's the people who made the show making their documentary about the show. It's Ira Stephen Bear making this documentary and interviewing everybody who worked on it, right? And right from the beginning, you've got Andy Robinson who played Garrick before the documentary begins, just addressing the audience saying, look, <laughs> this documentary is a blend of memory, bad memory, <laughs> emotion, um, the, the history of these people working together under extreme pressure, so essentially, take it all with a grain of salt because the truth, in big quotes, 
is going to be very difficult to mine out of any of this. And I think you have to accept any interview like that. There's a documentary that I still haven't watched called Chaos on the Bridge because it is about those difficult years in early TNG and you back to Dorothy and David and Bob Justman and Gene and uh, Maury Hurley and Leonard Mazelish and all, all the, these people who were kind of the top tier pulling that show together. And apparently it was chaos. Right. But... I also get the feeling that this is a lot of emotionally fraught memory and and misremembered items as well. So are are we really finding the truth in any of that? Well, maybe, but it, we're finding somebody's truth um, and there will always be a counter to that experience as well. This is Tom Fox again. That concludes part one of my special two-part podcast interview of John Champion. I hope you'll join us again next week where I post part two and we move forward from Star Trek The Next Generation up through Deep Space Nine and the television shows as well. It's a great uh, podcast. It's a lot of fun. If you love Star Trek, once again, this is the podcast for you. Greetings and Felicitations is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.